the motivation on the mental side of things, it's going to be difficult right now. Recognize that it's going to be difficult because if you're listening to this and you're into the information that I put out or a lot of the people that you guys have on as guests, you didn't decide to come into training because you like to lift 10 pound weights and soup cans in your living room. That's not what you got into this for. So now that you're relegated to just doing whatever it is that you have available, trying to put, I don't know, books in a book bag or bricks in a Walmart bag or something and doing whatever you can with it. You didn't get into the game for that. So there's no moral failing on anyone's end for being demotivated by the fact that a couple weeks ago, you could just walk into the gym, load the bar up and go. Cause that's what you love. You love the iron game. You go in, you move heavy stuff. And that's what, that's what breathes life into your day. Nothing wrong with the fact that now that you have to do resistance band curls until you know, the cows come home that like, you don't want to do that. It's understandable, but giving up because you're in this position, isn't a good option either. The Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. Thank you for checking into this edition of the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. Before we get started, I just want to take a moment and remind you that our mission is to become an internationally recognized hub where creative forces from across the planet can showcase their talents for the world to see and hear right here on CEP. Now, your role in this endeavor, and yes, you have a role, is to keep coming back, subscribe to the CEP on your favorite podcast streamer, and do us a huge one and go to Apple Podcasts, give us the five-star rating, and for these things, we are eternally grateful to you. Now, for this episode, Colt and I sit with Nick Gloff. Nick is an exercise scientist who we have no doubt will move on to do great things in whatever it is that he does pursue. He's a bodybuilder, he's a trainer, and a podcaster. What more could you ask for? During this episode, you will hear us discuss Nick's fascinating research while studying at university, his approach to training, some tips on staying active during quarantine, and much more. Be sure to follow Nick Gloff, that's Nick G-L-O-F-F, on the socials, and uh, yeah, without further introduction, here we go. Hey, everybody, welcome back to yet another riveting edition of the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. I am James, and with me, as always, is my good friend, Colt. Yes, sir. And with us today on the line is Nick Gloff. Did I say that right, Nick? Yep, yep, you got it right. Nick Gloff, man, it's good to have you on today. How you doing? Doing pretty good. Yeah, so, you know, I I try not to mention it. I wasn't going to say anything at all, but, you know, we have this whole COVID-19 thing going on, and... uh, just wondering how you are doing amidst all the quarantining. Pretty good. Uh, to be honest, for people kind of like us in this kind of a space, doesn't change a lot of what we do on a day-to-day. Usually not very, you know, out there doing a lot of social stuff anyways. There you go. Okay. Yeah. So you're you're from New York. Are you, you currently live in New York as well? Yep. Okay. In the Buffalo yep, area? Right. Said? Yep. Uh, just about an hour away. Okay. It's just the closest uh, landmark that people will, will recognize, so that's what I go by. Right. Yeah. We do the same thing with St. Louis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We uh, live in small towns, and so instead of saying Deloge or, or something like that, yeah, St. Louis is the closest available thing that people are going to recognize. So yep. we just stick with that. So you stick with Buffalo. Yep. Yeah. That's good, man. So if, if you don't mind, start us off by telling us a little bit about yourself, and uh, we'll go from there. All right. Well, I'm 
22 years old, uh, from Western New York, uh, just finishing my undergraduate in exercise science, double majored with kinesiology, minored in biology. I've done two years of biomechanics research, uh, working with EMG technology in conjunction with ACEs aerial technology. Um, I've been training for about 10 years, five of which have been specifically dedicated to bodybuilding slash powerlifting training because I kind of dabble in both. Um, I'm a coach. Uh, that's a fairly new development, but I do that as well. I don't really consider myself uh, an expert in the field at this point. I'm just kind of an up-and-comer new guy. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's that's good though. Tell us about kinesiology. What this this is the study of body movement, right? Body mechanics. Yeah. Yeah. What what got you drawn into that? Um, I always had an interest from when I was young. So when I first started doing sports, when I was twelve, when I started football, I had to lose a ton of weight to be able to play because there was a weight limit. So I had to train like a lot to be able to do it. Cause I had like two months to lose like 40 pounds. Holy cow. Yeah. It, it was pretty awful, but, <laughs> but through that experience, having to do so much all the time, it was like hours on hours a day of always doing something. It just kind of brought me to like, you had to be obsessed with it in one way or another for you to just continue to keep going. And just that initial spark that I had, that just got me interested in like how the body moves, how I can optimize everything and be, be better at what I'm doing so I could be better on the field or on the mat or in the gym later on. It just all kind of started from there and just kept on spiraling as things went. Yeah. So just kind of yeah. naturally fell into where I am now. We spend a, a fair amount of time talking about the importance of form, you know, the, the mechanics when you are lifting because bad form can just completely undermine everything that you're attempting to gain when you are lifting, when you're basically doing anything. And also, you can, you can hurt yourself. Um, so I have to assume that, that proper movement has a lot to do with exactly what you're talking about, the ways to, to move your body in order to get a certain gain or also in order to not hurt yourself so that you're on the sidelines or, or that you can't make it to the gym. Was that a, was that a pretty big motivator for you in in all of that, or was it just that you had a, a particular job in mind and you want to kind of reach for that goal? It was never really about injury prevention for me. Okay. That was never really something that I thought about too much because uh, kind of you're you're a kid, you're invincible. You sure. don't think about that stuff. And yeah. even it's been probably a year since that's really hit me at all, where I've had to really think about it. So it's been a more recent development that I've had to think a little bit more about what I'm doing as far as that's concerned. But luckily enough, looking at movement efficiency and just overall quality of movement helps so much just in both directions of being efficient so that you can get to the goal better, more succinctly getting there. Every unit of work that you do is more worthwhile that doubles as being helpful for you just staying away from chronic injury just by the nature of it. So it just kind of, it works out. Yeah. The thing that ends up helping more than movement quality really for injury prevention is just recognizing how much you're pressing against your own tissue tolerance and how repeatedly you go back after it without allowing things to recover. 
that is usually what the tipping point is rather than having one squat that went badly in just like one rep, your knee went in and goodbye ACL. It's mm. much more likely that you've been doing that for two times a week, three times a week for six sets at a time, completely being ignorant of everything that was going on, failing every time. So the fit, uh, so your form gets worse and worse. And then you just did that over periods of months or years. And then just that one bad squat, the one bad squat was the 3000th bad squat. And that's like, bam, something that was waiting just came out and then you can blame it on, Oh, it was the squat. Nah, it was all of the rest of the things that happened wrong for a long period of time without you rectifying it that ended up getting you there. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, it's, it's a good point. And let me preface our, our further conversation by saying I'm an old guy. I'm 42 <laughs> years old now. So, really? so, so sometimes I, I pull my, my muscles getting out of bed. <laughs> so <laughs> it could be one squat. Just don't, no, hey, but, just don't do it every day. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> I, uh, no, but I, you know, I have to appreciate proper form, proper mechanics in, in lifting, especially, you know, and, and just have that, that in mind all the time, have that, uh, that muscle mind connection, because if not, I could, it's pretty easy for me to pull something out. I have a kind of a chronic back issue anyway, as long as I'm careful, it doesn't, I don't exacerbate it, but at some points in time, it, it can be something pretty simple, as easy as getting out of bed. And I can I can be walking funny for the next couple of days. It, it's strange how that works. And so yeah. I even have proper mechanics for when I get up <laughs> and roll my <laughs> my old ass out of bed. <laughs> Unfortunately, at 22, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> so, uh, how much, if any, of, of uh, sports psychology is involved in your in your study, man, uh, at the undergrad level? Well, in formal education, pretty minimal. I did end up having one class that was specifically for it. Yeah. And fortunately, I had a really, really good professor that now is at like Georgia Tech or Wisconsin or something like some place big that he belonged, apparently. Uh-huh. So, so I got a pretty good perspective from sitting in that classroom. But more than anything, like I couldn't specifically name off any one thing that I learned because I don't remember any of it. Mm. It's more being, being in the space and having done this for so long, even though I am still young, it's been a part of my life for a really long time. And I've gone through my own, you know, trials and tribulations that it's, it always brings perspective back. And it's not always something that you can pull out and just, you could say the taglines, the words that you'd learn in a psychology course. Yeah. But you look at the world and the way that you perceive things differently. It's just a layering onto the lens that you look at life with. And just everything just kind of filters through and you see things differently than you would if you hadn't seen it before. Sure. Yeah. Right. So. so we're talking so exercise science, kinesiology, biology, you know, physiology, all these different things. Have you always been like a brainiac or always just really wanted to learn these things? Or did you all this happen after high school? Uh, I always struggled in school pretty badly, actually. Uh, I always pushed really hard to get my grades to where they needed to be. I was always decent as far as like just grade point average. But to be like smart, I never was smart, I wouldn't say. It was it was once I got into college and I kind of, I decided where I was going to go anyway. 
I decided what direction I was going to go in. So I knew I was going to do exercise science because I didn't want to do anything else. <laughs> I couldn't imagine myself sitting in like an accounting course or something like that. Cause that would be the smart way to go. Just get a job that everybody is like, everybody can get an accounting job. You can go out and do it. You can just, there's jobs everywhere for it. You'll get hired. You know, you have job security. You go in exercise science and you have no idea what's going on because it doesn't even sound like it's a real thing the first time you hear it. <laughs> so I didn't care so much about that. I just went that that's the only thing that I remotely even care about enough for me to sit in classrooms for four years to get a degree for. So that's what I did. So I went that direction. And then once I got there, I kind of decided that if I'm already here, I might as well learn everything. So instead of just doing the exercise science degree, I added on top the kinesiology degree and then the biology degree. And then two years in, I decided I wanted to do research in biomechanics. So I ended up working with a professor that I had for my kinesiology course, my introductory to, and just started working with him and I've worked with him for the last two years. So wow. that's, it just kind of like it snowballed on itself. After I got to a point where I decided that that was the direction I was going, I just went, it's all in, just go. Right. I mean, do you have an ultimate goal with all of this? By the end of my education, I want to have a doctorate or a PhD, um, whether that's MD or not, DPT. I'm not sure in the direction yet. It, I could very well go into, into the PT route because that interests me. Right. Mm. But as far as where I'm going immediately, I don't have anything set up for a master's or any program directly following when I graduate. So part of that is because I realize that I'm young. And if I want to do something competitively with bodybuilding and doing the coaching thing and learning some life experience things, sitting in classroom experiences for what? 24, 26 years without actually living out in the real world a little bit. I think if I were to go out and do things that are a little bit more life oriented, get experience being with people, doing business, just kind of seeing how the world works, seeing where what I already know applies in a real context. Once I have that, walking into a master's degree or a furthering education of some kind is going to mean a lot more. Cause I'll come to it without, without just the thought of being like, okay, I'm here to get the receipt paper so I can put another couple letters behind my name. Right. I'd rather them mean something to me rather than those letters mean something only to somebody else that's reading my name. Right. Which is what it ends up feeling like if you just never stop just pushing forward, just kind of like trudging through the never ending amount of education. It just, even if you're passionate about something, if it takes that much out of you to do, at some point, it's just, it's monotony. Getting out of it to see the other side, the grass is never really greener, but once you actually see the other side and you know it isn't, going back seems easier and you have a better uh, perspective to look at things. So that's kind of the way that I'm thinking about going on from here. Good, man. Where are you getting this, this aged wisdom from, my friend? You, you sound like a... <laughs> You, you, you sound like you have a little more wisdom than your typical 22-year-old. Where, where are you getting all this from? 
I don't know, man. I just, I lived a lot of life in very few years. <laughs> yeah. No, but you're right though. When I, I didn't finish my graduate degree till I was well into my thirties. And when, when I'm in a master's class, man, the, the, the real life experience that I have, mine's in, in counseling, but that, that real life experience that I already had up to, into that point, it really fueled the passion that I already had for the subject itself, for the degree itself. And I was able to take that and kind of, you know, kind of utilize it in, in real time, working with the people that I was also in graduate school with and training for the, the eventual jobs that I would have. So that, that's some real, it's, it's a really good approach that you're taking there. I can, I can get behind that. Appreciate that. So you mentioned being a competitive bodybuilder, man. What's, uh, how are you gearing up for that? What are your plans? Uh, you said you've been training for 10 years. Five years of that is with the, I guess, the perspective of wanting to get into competition. Um, what's feeling that and, and kind of give us uh, some insight into your plans there? Well, right now, all any and all plans are put on hold for the indefinite future. Oh. <laughs> so just because of, you know, coronavirus. Oh, yeah. That, that thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Because nobody knows when that's going to be completely gone and right. done with. So, yeah, the way that I've looked at it the entire way through my training career up to this point, it's been I've been nudged a lot of times, like, dude, you should compete, dude, you should, you, you could be good at this, you should, and I'm just like, nah, nah, and just keep on pushing it, not because I never wanted to. But because I knew that the time to capitalize on making the most progress is when you're the youngest, you can change the most, you can tolerate the, the hardest training the most right now, basically indestructible, except for in the last year, I've learned that I have limits, <laughs> right? unfortunately, but up to this point, I haven't actually competed, but I'm to the point now where I am confident that if I step on stage within the next year, I'll be able to do something significant enough for me to be able to have a continuous uh, competitive career moving forward. Cause I never wanted to step on stage at 18 and then compete every year after that and set a precedent. It's having a six month block of making progress, six month block of dieting. And then just doing that, like you, you get half of the progress you could every year for multiple years if you start young and you start the precedent of competing early so my thinking was always push it as far as i could possibly manage to go where i don't do that where i don't end up competing continuously so i can make a ton of progress up front and then after i've made the significant portion of the foundation at least that i need after that point i can start competing and then i can do it semi-frequently enough for me to keep on moving up and, you know, having some sort of name recognition hmm. and being able to move up the ranks to at least some degree. And I'd still be able to get to the end of my progressive runway for my entire career before I hit 40. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, you only you, have, uh, sorry, go. I was say you with the way your mindset, it seems like when you're, when you do something, you're all in on it when it comes to yeah. college, when it comes to, you know, everything in life. So I, I imagine that you're not just going to try to step on stage a couple of times just for the fun of it. It's going to be a, 
you're looking for a pro card at some point, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm looking to take it as far as I possibly can. Right. So the goal was never to just stand on stage to get some stage shots and then tell everybody that I'm a competitor. I'm forever, like from the time before I compete and the time after, I'll always just be a guy that trains because I don't want to identify myself as a competitor because once that's taken away from me inevitably at some point in my life i don't need to go through the grieving crisis of having <laughs> lost a part of my my being right being a competitor anymore and it's not even the root of what i started getting into this for it's always been more about i mean even though i'm part of the instagram generation that started training when like social media was a thing I started before I knew what Facebook was and I continued on and actively avoided ever getting onto any platform for as long as possible. I didn't even have an Instagram until I got into college. Wow. Yeah. So like I had no reason to do any, like I didn't look at things and go, Oh, I want to be famous. Oh, I want to get, I want to, I want to make money doing bodybuilding. That never crossed my mind. It was just, I love training. I go in high school. It was, I had to wake up in the morning. I had to work out before school I'd go to school. I'd have three hour wrestling practice. And then I'd go to the gym after. So like, it was something that I didn't have to force myself to do. It was something I always loved to do. And the training was always, always the basis. It was never about like, I got to do this so I can look good on stage. If that was what I was doing this for, then I would have already totally petered out a long time ago and I never would have even made it anywhere close to where I am now. Right. So, so with your, your years of lab research, you said rate of force development. Yeah. So using EMG and ACEs aerial technology, can you explain what either of those are? Yeah. So EMG for anybody that doesn't know is electromyography. So it's just a little sensor that you use an electrode, you put it onto a muscle and then it will sense the feedback of the nervous signal, just the electrical signal that happens within the muscle tissue. Mm -hmm. It takes that, it measures the amplitude of it and then it sends it back through a computer that you can read through and see what the frequency and the amplitude based on a wave, what it is that the activity of the nervous system is at that muscle. So that's a rough proxy for muscular activation and then from there, you can more roughly approximate other things like tension and utilization per muscle uh, based on the movement. So you can use EMG to, if you have it on multiple muscle groups, you can look at the activation and make an assumption, although it's not 100% correct. If you have, I don't know the vastus lateralis on your quad is giving you 80% of the total uh, total stimulation or it's that much higher than everything else. Then you have 10% and 10% of two other muscle groups that you're looking at. You can assume that whatever exercise that you're doing, then the prime mover, the one that is taking the most load, providing the most tension, the most torque at the joint that it's acting on is the vastus lateralis. So it just, it's helpful for you to see and kind of, it's more like a validation measure for other research. That's its best use in my opinion, is you use the EMG sensors to look at 
if you're trying to see based on a movement, what the outcome goal is going to be, like if you're doing a squat versus a hip thrust study, maybe, because those have been done a lot frequently that mm-hmm. you might've talked about that on a recent podcast. Um, you put on the electrodes on all the same muscle groups and you do those exercises and you see what it is that gives you the most activity. And then from there you base, what would the best exercise be for this to grow or this to grow based on what you see by the EMG. Um, and ACEs is an aerial tech, which is a brand, the aerial tech. Okay. But the ACEs machine is an isokinetic dynamometer, which just means that isokinetic is same speed. So it's basically just a big pendulum, like a pendulum squat, like a squat machine. Right. It's just a really long pendulum that sits on an axis. And then you adjust it through a computer that it's hooked to that gives you feedback and um, output. So you put outputs into it and then it'll make the machine do what you want. And it'll give you the, the sense, uh, the sensory input back that it receives from whoever it is that's working on it. But you set it for the amount of degrees per second that it can move. And then you can push into it however much you want. And it will only move exactly that pace. Okay. You could put five pounds of force into it, or you could put 5,000 pounds of force into it, and it'll move the same exact speed. So you can use that to look at what the research that I was doing was taking a squat at multiple different heights, taking EMG sensors, putting them on all heads of the quad, and then doing a pause squat against multiple different degrees of resistance, just different speeds. Hmm. And then seeing what relative speed relative to their maximum speed is going to be the most advantageous for giving them a training effect that makes them more powerful. Gotcha. Whoa. Yeah. So you'd set it for whatever pace it is between uh, 10 and 200 degrees per second. And then they're told to go move as fast and as hard as you possibly can on every rep. They'll do sets at each of them and their training would be the same as their testing. So it'd be 10 sets of squats of six to uh, six to eight reps, depending on what the actual resistance was. Then they just do all of the reps and over time, over weeks, you see what it is that improves the most based on what group they were put into. So whether or not they were at a lower velocity, higher velocity, what their actual training adaptation looked like through the input that we get from the computer. And you'd use the EMG sensors to use as a validation technique to look at, okay, if this is what we expect to happen based on what we already know about how this, how the relations of the length, ten, uh, length tension relationship works within these muscle groups, then this is what we expect to happen at these muscle groups. This is what we expect to happen for the power output that we get. Now, is that validated or is that not based on what is it that we did for their training? Right. And we take their outcome measures on both the EMG and the ACEs to tell us whether or not it was. So that was what my research was on. Wow. How common is it for people to use these techniques in order to maximize their gains on things like, Um, like on a squat? It's 
it's pretty much unheard of. There's yeah. like, I may be mistaken, but I think there's three aces machines like on this side of the United States mm. and two of them are in the lab that I worked in. Wow. So there is vanishingly few of them. But from what I've seen, they are pretty effective at what it is that they're supposed to work for. They are pretty effective increasing actual power output. So the idea, the idea behind it is to use a training method that's not heavily loaded. So it doesn't create a lot of damage at all. So it's not like weight training. Mm. You're not going to get any significant amount of hypertrophy out of it, almost no matter what you did with it. But if you were to train within a 30 to 60% of maximum velocity, that was able to increase the curve. So it's a force velocity curve, if you've ever heard of that before. Can you explain it a little bit deeper? Yeah. A force velocity curve is basically forces on one end, velocity is, is on the other. Mm -hmm. So if you're going like this, force, if force is the highest, velocity will be the lowest. They're opposites. Okay. They're an inverse relationship. So the fastest you'll ever go is completely unloaded. Now, the highest force you could ever move is under the highest loading. Right. Will be the slowest. Right. Okay. So based on that curve, you'll fall somewhere on this bell curve based on what force or what velocity you're moving at. And whichever one that you go by, it depends on what the loading parameter is. So if you're trying to move somebody at a certain pace, we'd set them on an isokinetic dynamometer like the ACEs for whatever degrees per second so we can uh, control the speed. And then they input the force. If you're doing weight training, it's the opposite. Where you control the load, they control the speed. Okay. So it's coming at it from a different angle. It's going to the same place, a different direction. Right. So you use it as a way to, instead of trying to like, you set yourself on one place on the curve. The goal is to train within a range surrounding that one spot that you set at. So that instead of you just sitting at one place on the curve and then getting faster, or you getting more forceful, you just raise the entire curve. Right. So you're more forceful at the same velocity and you're faster at higher force. Gotcha. Mm. Yeah. So it increases your power by trying to raise you in relativity to each of them. So at no matter point that you're in on that force velocity curve, you're always better. Right. So that was the idea and it seems to work. It sounds like some smart stuff, man. I, <laughs> I, I guess I wonder why don't more people train with this kind of science behind it? Is it just because of availability of the technology or, I mean, cause most people I know it's like, you know, go to gym, lift heavy weight, <laughs> uh, you know, get big. <laughs> You're talking about some real sciencey stuff there, man. And it's very, very interesting. And it sounds like if one were to take that approach and really utilize it that they could actually, you know, once again, put some actual science behind their gains and, and kind of take some of the guesswork out of it. So why don't more people use, utilize this kind of approach to training? Accessibility is a huge thing. Like I just said, we, <laughs> there's, if I'm not mistaken, again, there's only three of those machines within like this half of the United States. 
So they're very hard to get access to and other equipment that is similar to it is ungodly expensive and no gym owner would ever want to get it. Mm. So the accessibility for anybody would be really low. The only way that you could get access to those sorts of machines, there's some uh, physical therapy clinics and orthopedic clinics that use them. Yeah. They don't use the same, they don't use an ACEs per se, but they'll use like a elbow flexion dynamometer or a knee extension dynamometer where it's just, it's the same thing. It locks you in, you set in the degrees per second that it moves and you just press against it as hard as you can. And it's helpful for you to get some objective measures for when you're looking at rehab patients that if they've just had like an ACL reconstruction, how, how much force can you actually put into this thing? If you can get past a certain force threshold and not exhibit pain, then you're like, you're starting to get clearance into higher activity. But as far as like actual putting that into a gym, nobody's going to use it. Sure. Right. It's and, not, it's not really for the, your actual, your regular gym goers. It's more for like physical therapy and things like that. Yep. And like I said, it's, it's not good for hypertrophy whatsoever. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, the data on that is, scarce and it's really not great. Gotcha. So it's more yeah. for muscle dysfunction, uh, muscle disorders and, uh, in relation to the nerves, right? Nerves that control those muscles. Well, I wouldn't say any, it, uh, for dysfunction. It's just more for assessing the actual, your voluntary ability to push through a movement. So like in a rehab setting, it's not really testing like how efficient your nervous system is. It's testing how much that you can push through without a pain sense stopping you from continuing. Mm. That's what the outcome measure is. If you can actually push through it and you can physically do it, that's okay. Cause you can put, like I said, you can put one pound of force in it. It'll still move. Right. So that may not be indicating what you need unless it tells you that they just can't do it. So, you know, immediately, like if they can't move this and they only have to like lift a feather with their leg, basically, then there's a bigger issue. They cannot be cleared to do anything. Sure. But after that point, seeing how much force they can actually produce before like their actual ability to push through the pain is done, or they have another sort of a dysfunction at the joint because of malalignment or I don't know, something wrong with the surgery or inflammation or scar tissue or something like that, that will be an indicator of whether or not there's something wrong beyond just them being in pain or beyond them being too early in the recovery process for them to actually do the movement. Yeah. Sounds like something maybe some uh, professional sports teams might employ. Mm -hmm. is, is that, you know, would that be one of your uh, possible career choices to, to work in physical therapy in that, in that sense for professional athletes? I think that would be really cool. Yeah. Uh, it never actually crossed my mind, actually. So that's hey, an idea. James, you might have just did something. Yeah, hey, I might, might have to go that. Um, I honestly, uh, I don't have any emotional attachment to the research that I did. So I'm not entirely invested in the method itself. I mean, if you were to look at anything that I do in my own training, I do have access to that. Uh, not now because nobody can be on a university campus anymore. Right. right. But I did have access to that to be able to use myself. And I had very, very limited experience of using it on myself because 
I didn't find it to be super efficacious for what I needed. So in as far as what I would do with other people, if I were to try and emulate or replicate the same sort of the same stressors, I would be super hard into isometric based training. Like wave loaded isometric training would be more like the isokinetic dynamometer work than actual just standard weight training. But that's not something that I typically utilize. So I take what I worked on and what I try to figure out what, whether or not it would work in the research. It showed me a couple of things that are helpful, but like you brought up um, that it sounds like really smart training ideas where most people just go in and they just lift stuff. Hmm. And that's the only <laughs> thinking to a degree. You could do the same thing. If, if in ACEs or an isokinetic dynamometer sort of thing was ubiquitous, if it was everywhere. And that was just what people did to train. Then by all means, people could just get up on it and just move it, you know, but that doesn't mean that all that smart stuff isn't there behind it. It's just that they're not completely aware of it. True. Yeah. It's just like the people that I had for subjects. It's, they didn't, they didn't know everything that was going on. They weren't expected to know all the science behind it. They were just, okay, here, stand under that thing, stand up. Yeah. Basically. So it, it's the same thing with people that go to the gym. It's just, it's so, it's so ubiquitous. And the way that you do things is recognizable enough that you can get pretty far without knowing anything. Right. You can just go in and move stuff and it's, you move stuff and you move heavier stuff when you can move heavier stuff, <laughs> you move heavier stuff for more amount of reps when you're able to lift it for more reps. Right. And then eventually, holy, holy cow, I'm strong and huge. Right. <laughs> we, we just so, dumbed yeah. this down to bro science somehow. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Throw some protein in there and you're on fire. Yeah. So, but that's not to say that like behind weight training, there isn't a whole bunch of that big sciencey stuff. Yeah. Right. Like that's, that's the thing. It's, it's all really complex when you want to make it complex. And it's cool to know, like, it's cool to step back and know all the pieces from like a mile high and to be like, this is, this is everything. I know it all. But like, what does it actually mean? Cause what does the guy that knows every detail do compared to the guy that knows nothing? Honestly, within maybe a couple of sets, a couple of reps, a technique here or there, it's pretty much the same thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> Honestly. So like, yeah. Taking it to that degree of knowing it all is awesome and intellectually going in and just having something that you're passionate about, going and learning it and trying to dig deep. Awesome. And there's a place for that. And there's tons of people that want to like, even if they're not going into like getting a degree in like exercise science or a related field, there's a ton of people like right now that are listening to podcasts like this, like spending a whole lot of time trying to like read research publications from science communicators, following them on Instagram, Facebook, like tuning into things that you never would. That is just now an available resource for you to learn just because they want to know. It. Right. Not necessarily that knowing where, I don't know. It doesn't necessarily matter what all the coenzymes are in the end stage of glycolysis. You don't need to know all that. You could just, do work and it'll happen, but you didn't need to know it was happening. It was happening. 
it's still fun to know though, right? It's still yeah. fun to be able to to have that that knowledge behind you. Yeah, and it, and it is. It's awesome. Uh-huh. But at the end of the day, you can boil it down to being like, what do we know? We know you do things in a progressive manner without pushing it beyond what your actual progressive means are. You continue to progress and you get better. You stay within your means, you push to your means, and you continue to repeat that cycle as long as your means keep on expanding. And that's it. In whatever method that you decide is the way to get there, as long as it's within reason, it'll get you to the same place. Right. So the method that you use to get there doesn't matter as much as long as you keep on going within your means and trying to progress your means. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I got it, man. That's, uh, there's, I don't know, man. It's still, I would, I, I like the science behind it. It's fun to know, but, uh, yeah, you're right. It, what, what it boils down to is, is how practical the information that you have is maybe the guy building the, the, uh, a particular machine, uh, that you might use in the gym, uh, knows that science and, and knows what movement and, and you know, what, uh, angles and, and, you know, oh, uh, just everything that the, the weight load. But when you, I go into the gym, I'm not thinking about that. I go and I go to move something that's heavy and see if I can't make it heavier. Mm-hmm. And like I said earlier, I eat some protein, see if I can't get a little bit bigger every time and try not to hurt myself in the process. So, uh, I don't know. The, hopefully I never have to have the EMG or anything like that because that no. probably means I got hurt and, uh, and, and going to see a physical therapist like you who went to school and <laughs> wants to, uh, wants to make me better. But so, bas- I, so basically what you're saying is that all the smart stuff has already been done. You just have to go in and use it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> basically you can decide to be the smart guy if you want to be the smart guy in the room. But what it really means in the end of the day is almost nothing. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of schooling and a lot of money. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of money to, per, to pursue something that you're passionate about. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really get you much right. in the way of like anybody that's in the pursuit of gains can get the same gains, whether or not they knew everything that went behind it. Right. But of course, there's another whole, whole other deal with like prof- being in the profession of doing this. And being a communicator, looking at science and being able to boil it down to people so that they don't have to understand it all, but you do, those people are still important. The people that are making the machines that you're going into the gym to use, right? right. you'd hope that they know length, tension relationships and angles and so that they can build things that are useful so people can just mindlessly walk in, sit on it and just start pushing it and it does what it's supposed to do without having to think about it. Like I know how to drive a car, but I couldn't tell you how the thing really works. Right. (laughs) Right. I couldn't, I couldn't build one and I don't know all the, all the science that goes into making it, but I, I have to, I need to be able to assume that when I get in it, I I put it in drive and it goes forward and gets me to my destination. And that's kind of like what, what I expect when I go to the gym with any given uh, machine that I want to go use. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's the same thing with having trusted science communicators. And I'm not trying to put myself on a, on a pedestal there because I wouldn't consider myself that. I consider people that are far above my own understanding to be the people that I consider a, a, an effective science communicator. But having those people behind everything that we're looking at and consuming mm. as the base general information to, in the last 10, 15 years, I mean, you're, you said you're 42, right? Yeah. You've been in the training space a long time, I assume. Off and on, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, in your opinion, 
has the general knowledge of just the first day walking in gym goer, is it higher now than it was 15 years ago? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I so, think so. Mm -hmm. I'd say that that is a direct result of having better science communication that has come about in the last 10, 15 years. So those people that are up in the ivory tower that have come down to give the rest of us plebeians the information, <laughs> right? They've done the work to understand all the intricacies. And at the end of the day, they know the thousand pieces and considerations for them to go. Here's two things you need to worry about. And there you go. And then we've had that happen for long enough now that people that have no idea what this entire space is could go and listen to somebody talk for five minutes, read something. And even if it's not from the original communicator, everything that everybody says is basically just a regurgitation of something that somebody else said mm. with maybe a couple of other pieces of information collected from other people. It's just an amalgamation of other ideas. Sure. Right. But, but it's like, it's like how, you know, in any given field, usually you have the, the process of peer reviewed journals and things like that. And it's just, um, a, a set of ideas that grows off another set of ideas. And, and we continue to learn and try to dispute those ideas so that we make things better and better. And mm -hmm. exercise is definitely, and nutrition, of course, has gotten better and better because we keep trying to build off the information that was given to us by our forefathers, so to speak. And we just keep getting better and better. Mm -hmm. Also, yeah, the fact that all of those things are all different from person to person too, so. Yeah, yeah, everything is different from person to person, but at the very least, the general baseline of everything can be considered pretty normal for everyone. Right. There's out there's outliers on either extreme end of a curve, but the wonderful thing about the human population is just about everything sits on a normal distribution or an inverse U. So you can make a good general statement about some things within, you know, safe, reasonable boundaries. Like this is generally a good idea. This is generally the direction you should go. And here are some things to look at that'll point you in different directions to walk down different paths when you hit there. Right. Mm -hmm. You know? Yep. So, and that's, that is, that's what the science is for. The science isn't for what? Trying to find a single statement that tells us we're right. Every single time we get more science is to tell us, okay, you're less wrong this time. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and you're forever getting less wrong this time is what science always will be. And yeah. that's the point because we're never, as long as we're looking at human subjects, we're never going to be right. Right. Because there is always that, in, uh, that interpersonal individuality. You look at the entire population and you can point at, you can make a general rule and have a hundred people in a room and maybe 99 of them will fit it. But one won't. And under some context, maybe one of the 99, some special circumstance, they won't fit it either. So as much as we can try and get it right, our best way of going about trying to do communication of good ideas is to make those caveats and to know what those caveats are so that we can point people in good directions, but not being afraid to say like, hey, this is the way that we got to go. Okay. This is the way forward. You may need to take another fork in the road at some point. And that's actually something that if I can make a stop off and have a tangent, that's something that's kind of irritating me about the space at the moment because the it depends era is here where everybody that is now in the space being trying to be science communicators 
they've learned that trying to say things in absolutes is out of style now. Okay. Trying to say things that are general blanket statements are obviously untrue in most cases. Trying to say something that blanket will apply to everybody is not going to be true because of what we just talked about. Right. This personal individuality and everything. So now when somebody doesn't know all the pieces and they can't talk about specific considerations for people to look at for why something is or isn't true based on where someone is and what, what that person is like, what their characteristics are, whether it's personal or the environment they're in that will change the circumstance they're in, what is applicable to them. It's now cool to say it depends. And it depends is the final answer in most cases. And that's giving people that don't have the backing, that don't know the considerations that make it depend, it gives them something to stand on to say, oh, I know, but you don't know. Huh. It depends. So you're asking me the question, and I obviously know that it depends. So it depends. So you won't know it, but I know it, but I won't say it. Right. <laughs> that, it, it gives this veneer of knowledge that isn't really there. Because saying it depends at least gives you, it pulls back a layer to say, oh, obviously there's more things to be considered. That's a more intelligent statement than, no, here's your answer. Thank you. Right. I, I mean, I could give you the answer, it depends without doing the research. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anybody asks any question, you could just go, yeah, it depends. Oh, thanks. Great. <laughs> Not having that statement only feeds the ego of somebody that thinks they're smart enough to give information. But if you don't have the things that make it depend behind it, it's just spewing nonsense. And it's really unhelpful. That's <laughs> 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 basically, it's basically the end point of that. It, it's, I did preempt this by saying it irritates me. So, <laughs> well, so it's, it's just someone, something that gets me. If someone asks me a question that's, that's got a lot of science behind it, I'm going to say, well, it depends. If you're talking to, to Nick Gloff, you know, you're probably going to get the right answer. If you're talking to me, probably not. So I, I guess I people are that. just, I, I guess people are just, everybody wants to, to have the information. You know, do you think that's the impetus behind all of that? It's just oh, that yeah. there's a lot, of, a, a lot of people out there who are trying to say a lot of things. Everybody wants to have the information. Everybody wants to have the knowledge. Everybody is trying to do something, but uh, it might be a good indicator that if they preface by saying it depends, that you, you may want to take a step back and, and maybe uh, you know reassess who you're talking to and whether or not this information is valid. Well, also like well, your, your research, if you, if you end with it depends, your research can't really be counteracted or disproven, right? Like you, if you say it depends on these factors then you're not just saying something that's absolute and then somebody coming back at you and saying, well, that's not, you know, disproving that that's not true. Well, yeah, that's, that's true to a point. Um, and that's good general practice for research, being able to say and look at the considerations that may make the statements that you've made untrue. Mm -hmm. That gives you better direction to go. Okay. If we're looking at it as like the, the analogy that I keep on using is the path We're walking down the path in the research is the path the more times that we can reconfirm an idea, even if it's only once, we make a step down the path. But at some point, 
we're going to have to decide like, okay, do we keep walking straight forward or is there another path to walk? Right. Do we take a fork in the road? Knowing what it is like, it's not, in some cases it is just trying to hide the fact that you don't have better answers. Just saying it depends. But if you're in a position where you're making a statement based off of empirical research that's been done and assuming that it's been done in a way that's sound and respectable and it's worth publishing in the first place, if you're at that point anyway, taking that next step to say, okay, it depends, but it depends on these things. Now we need to go and do research papers looking at this idea, but checking all of these it, it depends statements. You check all of those individual characteristics and see if we manipulate this thing and keep on going in this direction, does it keep us going in the same direction we thought it would, or does it change? That's the utility in having that statement. And it's the same utility when you're talking about just a general person trying to make an it depends statement. It's the same idea. It's saying, okay, we know a little bit more now than we may have in the past about this one thing. We're moving in this direction, but we now know that there is a fork in the road. The person that just says it depends and doesn't back it, they're standing at the fork and going, okay, well, somebody's asking you for the direction. You go, oh, it's, it's all of these. Mm-hmm. How useful is that? Right. So it's, it's like so so what we need is it depends, but if it depends on this, this is this answer. If it depends on this, this is this answer. So you have to have exactly. all the things that go into it. Exactly. Well, yeah, what you're talking about are, are variables, right? Possible variables. And uh, you you want to give some kind of if you're doing research, I would assume when I'm when I'm reading something, some kind of research, I'm looking for at least a direction, if not answers. Like to find answers, but at least want to take that direction that that science is leading me down. I want to get that path and see if we can't build from there. Mm-hmm. And so it, it depends statement needs to, it, it's a variable and that's okay. Like how much for someone who's just starting out in training, how much should I lift? Well, it depends, you know, <laughs> it depends on your body structure. It depends on whether or not you grew up on the farm or whether you grew up with a silver spoon. I, who knows? Are your arms as, as thin as toothpicks or do you already have a little bit of uh, of muscle uh, about your structure? And so, yeah, it kind of depends, but, there needs to be some kind of a definitive path to go down. Um, otherwise, you're just saying it depends and, and kind of leaving that that you're, you're standing at the fork of the road saying, well, it depends if you want to go left or right. You choose. Yep. Yeah. Uh, something that I do want to make, make clear and say, um, you did, James, you did say that when you see somebody that's starting statements with it depends, that it may be a point to step back and think about whether or not that person is worth listening to. Mm-hmm. That should always be a part of the thinking when you're taking in somebody's statements. Yeah. It should Good. always be, no matter who it is, okay, step back. What is this person saying? Mm. What is this person's background? What may their credibility be? What is the history behind their words? Yeah. And what may their interest be in saying what they're saying? Yeah. And then moving from there. But Good. usually, generally, Having somebody that says an it depends statement, it is an intelligent thing to say. That's why it gives people that don't have the intelligence the veneer of being intelligent. That's why it makes people that don't have, because this is a whole other thing, there's no barrier to entry now. You can be a evidence-based trainer on the internet now. Mm. You don't need to go through any schooling for it. You don't need to have any formal education. 
You don't need to know anything. You could just go on your Instagram right now, turn it into a business account, and then put under your name, evidence-based practitioner, whatever, whatever that means. Mm -hmm. And then you start every single written post you do within it. It depends. Then you basically leave it at a topic without going into detail. You could do that. And that could make you appear like you know something. It makes it really easy for you to do that because it's just an easy formula. It's an easy copy paste. You just do the same thing over and over again and it kind of looks like, oh, okay. They're, they're not just putting a picture of a bicep flex and going, what's up, dude, <laughs> as their caption. Right. And then just a whole bunch of emojis. And then at, at the bottom, after like a thousand periods, it's here's my email for coaching. So it makes you look more intelligent. And to a degree, it, it does because you at least know that you can manipulate people by using a statement you can't back. But for people that actually use it and apply it in the way that it should be, it depends as a qualifying statement that may make you think, okay, hold on. Maybe there's something here and I should listen to this. But listening doesn't necessarily mean you listen to it uncritically. That's the end point there. Yeah. It, if you're not listening to it or reading it, however you're intaking information, if you don't look at it critically and take it from a lens of whoever it is that says this statement, no matter what the source is, where it came from, it may still not be fully true or it may be completely wrong. But you'll have to take in the information and then hopefully have enough interest in the general area for you to look at other people's information or other sources, uh, sources of information to collaborate that one idea to see whether or not that general direction is corroborated by multiple pieces of evidence. Mm. Right. Did, did you gain this perspective on your own or did you have other people in these different fields who kind of had this perspective that had have passed it down to you and you kind of built on it? I don't know if passed down is the best way to do it. Uh, best, best way to say it. Uh, I've always had a questioning sort of a mind. Um, even when I knew I didn't know the answer, why? It, when I started in school, this, this started, I think. Um, at least it started like forming a piece of my personality, I'd say. Because I would be in a class for some basic ex-phys or something. Mm -hmm. And I'd just be sitting there and I don't know more than the professor. Quite obviously. They have a PhD in this thing and I don't. But when you're sitting back there is at least something within, within my brain that recognize like there should be more to that statement. Yeah. I don't think that's the full picture. And sometimes it was just, okay, that can't be right. Sometimes I was wrong. A lot of times I was wrong, <laughs> but at least enough times after going through that filter of going, hold on, I think there's more there. Cause that doesn't seem like it adds up to me going through that enough times and going, okay, I I've had enough of not knowing what the end of this questioning is. So I'm just going to find it. And then after enough time of going out of my way to go, okay, I can't trust any one single person's words because I can sit in a classroom with a PhD sitting in front of me and speaking things. And I should be able to just, in an ideal world, just uncritically accept everything that they say read every single word of a textbook and go, that's, that's it. That's gospel right there. But that's not, we don't live in, in an ideal world. We live in a real world. 
where every single piece of information and every person that's read information is fallible. And everyone's interpretation thereof, the things that they've seen, is also fallible. So there's always going to be a hole somewhere that you can find. And just deciding that I wasn't happy enough, knowing the holy cheese of information. I don't need to know just the basic outline and have all of these missing holes here. I want to know everything. And I want to know that once I know everything that I know nothing. Right. And then I go outside of that to learn, okay, but here's a whole other layer that I didn't know existed. You can't get there if you already think you learned everything within the box. Right. So in being able to, being able to see the holes in the box that you're in allows you to at least to see the light that's peeking in from the outside for you to go and see there's a layer out there. There's something there. I'm not just sitting within this box and this is all there is. Right. And I saw the holes in the box of formal education pretty early, luckily enough, just because and maybe it was ego. It probably was ego <laughs> to start off because I didn't want to sit there and be told like, this is what this is. It's like, Hmm. I don't know if I like that. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe it was ego that started it. Maybe it was a true inquisitive mind. Maybe it was both, but it ended up getting to the point where it's, it's now just a part of the way I think that there's always something outside of what I know. There's always something that could invalidate what I say. There's always another person somewhere that may have a better interpretation of what I've seen. That's not seeing a single piece of information outside of what I've seen. They just think better. That's always possible. So maybe what started out of being egotistical about wanting to know everything brought me to a place where you learn humility by having to go through the experience of being wrong enough times about what you consider to be absolutely true. So, or you don't have yeah. to go through any of that. You just say it depends and yeah. leave it there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. That's well, the advice. That's the advice at the end of this. If everybody <laughs> walks away from this podcast, if they made it this far, and props to you if you have, I would learn- listen to me ramble for an hour. <laughs> if, you, if you learn anything though today, just, you, you know, Take that home with you. It, it depends. You can use it in a lot of good situations, and it's going to make you sound smarter than probably what you actually are. But <laughs> some, some, somehow we have eluded once again the. I, I thought Zoom had a forty-minute time frame, and we're well past that. So yeah. I don't know. I don't know how we keep escaping this. I'm not going to complain. Uh, I'm not either. I hope they're not listening. I hope they don't <laughs> hear me say this. And uh, but, but no, Nick. I was, I was wanting to ask you about the uh, the podcast, man. What is it? Eat, sleep, train. Yep. Uh, bodybuilding and fitness radio. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. got it right, word for word. What was the uh, motivation behind starting a podcast, man? Well, as you've seen here, I like to ramble and go off of go just go on random tangents. So there was enough times that I've just talked at at my friends, not with my friends. <laughs> about just things that just get to me or things that I know that people, other people may want to know. Sure. 
And it just kind of led me to the position where also trying to be candid with this, at least trying to do something that isn't a actual professional thing, like going into directly into PT school after graduation or going into directly a master's in X-Phys or whatever the direction I get pulled in once I know where I'm going. (laughs) Instead of going that route, there has to be something else that I could do. So part of my route of going there is trying to figure out like if I'm going to be a part of this sort of industry and try to carve out my place, then I might as well do it now. Start putting out my perspective and my information and putting out my name at least. Having people that want to hear me (laughs) ramble, (laughs) give them the ability to and just kind of provide value to people that want to get value from me. That was, that was the idea. And I get to check up with my, uh, my one buddy, Jake, who's my co-host. Yeah. (laughs) But I don't always get to talk to very much, but I always like to catch up with him. So So were were you an, were you an avid podcast listener before you started your own? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of my favorite things. Absolutely. Almost, almost don't even listen to music anymore. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Yeah, we yeah. talk about that often. It's there's so much information to digest, and I do a fair amount of driving, you know, in my in my job. And the way that the podcasting thing kind of took hold of me was because I would go from you know across the state, uh, from one side of the state to the other, and to try to keep up with a radio station, it, yeah. it, you, know, you you would lose signal, and so it would it was always kind of a pain in the butt because I into something and it would start to you know get staticky and then for you too long you couldn't listen to it anymore and then lo and behold it was like a light shone down from heaven and that that light was a podcast and ever since then i've been gravitating more and more towards this long form you know version of information digestion and it's once you get into it, there's there's a podcast for everything and i wouldn't have it any other way because i love it so much and yeah Colt and I were avid podcast listeners before we started this one and we would get together and we would just sit around and, and shoot the breeze anyway, talking about everything under the sun and, and want to talk to, you know, intelligent people like yourself. And, uh, we said, you know what, why don't we just do that too? Why don't we have a podcast and see where it goes? And, you know, a couple of years later, you know, we're, we're still at it. And yeah, it's so, it's so it, it gives me an excuse because otherwise and I say this often probably gets old, but if, if, if I just called up or, or got on, on on social media and said, "Hey, Nick Gloff, let's let's talk about some smart stuff that you know uh, and, and and what you're doing in life," probably, who's this creeper? You would yeah. think. Why, why is this guy just you know randomly trying to pick my brain? But with when you have a podcast, it gives you a great excuse to sit down and kind of you know unpack some of these subjects, and it's like a learning experience the whole way for for us. You know. It's, I will speak for myself. I just, it's like a school is in every time we get to talk to someone who um, kind of focuses their life and, and their, their mental powers on something like what you're doing with exercise science, man. And so it's just like my brain swells and it's, it's a great thing. Yeah. So well, we I'm can, a, what's that? that uh, looking to make that quantum leap in long form information. Yeah. Going, like you see, see the meme with like, it gets more and more ethereal as it goes down. The like the smarter you get, you uh-huh. know what I'm talking about? Yeah. 
it like looks like that metaphysical drawing with that like brain like expanding. Uh huh. Uh-huh. You know what I'm talking about? Well, I think I've seen it. Podcast is like that before last one. Ebook is next. <laughs> Makes sense. Got to make that quantum leap at some point. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't been gutsy enough, but I think it's got to come. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the natural evolution, right? It's, yeah. it's got to be that. Yeah. So. Well, Nick, man, it's been great to speak with you. Uh, of course, you can find the podcast, Eat, Sleep, Train, uh, Bodybuilding and Fitness Radio on, I, I know I've got it off of uh, Apple Podcasts slash iTunes. Yep. Um, I don't know if it's everywhere or not, but man. Everywhere you, you can find it. Perfect. Cool. Perfect. Do you have a, a website? Uh, you want to blast out your social media? Anything you got where people can find you? Especially, if, I don't know if you blog. Man, you've got a lot of, of really good information to share, and um, you talk about adding value through your podcast. Uh, if there's anything else out there that, that you're doing, let us know so people can find you and, and let you know that they, uh, they're following you around. Yeah. Um, I don't have a landing page or a website, um, but you can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook. I have a closed Facebook group. that You just have to find my name, click into it, I'll accept just about anybody that goes through as long as I can't look at your profile and you know, you're the typical send a 3am message and hey, young guy, how you doing? <laughs> as long as you're not that guy, right. I'll let you in. <laughs> so I have that set up. That's an educational platform. I do a lot of the stuff that I do here, post the podcast and wherever else that I'm put onto a podcast like your guys will put in the link there. So everybody that follows me directly can get in there and see it. Um, put in videos, explanations, exercise videos, breakdowns, you know, short written articles, stuff like that. I don't have a blog either. That's probably a good idea. You guys are giving me a whole lot of good ideas right now. <laughs> Loving this, but the best way for you to get a hold of me, if you wanted to have a conversation with me or you just want to see what I put out, just follow me on Instagram. That's the basic hub of everything that I go and do. Mm-hmm. And from there, you can find all the other things that I provide. But Good. Good. Two quick fire questions, right, before we let you go. First of all, why didn't you have an Instagram until you were in college? I didn't think that I had anything worth showing to the world. Okay. And I continued to not believe that through, uh, through the entire period that I had it. So like, I didn't start posting. I think I didn't start posting anything that was like fitness related until I was a sophomore, I believe. So I had it for a year or so, but never did anything with it. I was just basically consuming content. Maybe I put up like a selfie or something at some point, Uh but never, never once did I think that like, okay, somebody's going to take value away from something that I say. Nobody's going to want to see me lifting some stuff because why would they? Because I'm just some kid from the Buffalo area in a town <laughs> that nobody's going to know uh-huh. at 20, 18, 20 years old, whenever the time, just going out here and doing this thing and doing my hobby. Nobody's going to care to see that. Mm-hmm. And that was always the way I felt about it until like I had enough friends just tell me like, just do it, just do it. Just yeah. stop whining about it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just do it. <laughs> stop thinking about it so much, Nick. Yeah. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> it always comes down to that. Just got to yeah. overthink everything. Uh-huh. Well, that, 
it's it's atypical though, man, because most people think that everybody wants to see their selfies in their, you know. I started with booty shots myself, you know. <laughs> I, I started taking booty shots and putting them on Instagram, and that's how I, I got and, the and here you are. He's just <laughs> a complete turn. Yeah, he's, he's the only person right? on Instagram that has a negative following. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um last question. Yeah. Give us one good tip. I guess this is not a question, but give us one good tip um, for people who are still under quarantine, um, how they can maintain the momentum, the motivation to, uh, to stay in shape during this hard time. Okay. So the motivation on the mental side of things, it's going to be difficult right now. Recognize that it's going to be difficult because if you're listening to this and you're into the information that I put out or a lot of the people that you guys have on as guests, you didn't decide to come into training because you like to lift 10 pound weights and soup cans in your living room. That's not what you got into this for. So now that you're relegated to just doing whatever it is that you have available, trying to put, I don't know, books in a book bag or bricks in a Walmart bag or something and doing whatever you can with it, mm -hmm. you didn't get into the game for that. So there's no moral failing on anyone's end for being demotivated by the fact that a couple weeks ago, you could just walk into the gym, load the bar up and go. Cause that's what you love. You love the iron game. You go in, you move heavy stuff. And that's what, that's what breathes life into your day. Nothing wrong with the fact that now that you have to do resistance band curls until, you know, the cows come home that like, you don't want to do that. It's understandable, but giving up because you're in this position isn't a good option either. Because what's going to happen is if you sit for long enough, although you could cite research on research to say, oh, well, muscle loss is really hard to make happen. And, you know, if you stay on your diet, everything's going to be fine. And if you're just generally active, you'll be okay. Like, generally, that's true. But we're also not just, we're not just being cut out of gyms. We're being placed in our homes. Unless we're going out for essential travel, you're not going anywhere. So if you're stuck in your home, what are you doing? You're laying on the couch. You're sitting at your computer. You're being completely inactive. If you're being completely inactive, all of those rules, those general rules from like research that's done on muscle loss isn't going to account. You could look more towards what happens when you're bedridden for weeks on end. That stuff becomes a lot more applicable to the situation. If you make yourself bedridden because you decide that you don't want to do anything because you can't lift your barbells, then you're going to suffer muscle loss and strength loss. And it won't be great. And you'll be really annoyed with yourself when you, when the gyms finally open up and you're, I don't know, 60% as strong as you were before. Mm -hmm. And you have to work yourself all the way back up. Yeah. And then you, you don't have the luxury of being able to skip a single beat from that point. If you want to get back to where you were, you have to nail it. You don't want to be put in a position where you're put in a corner. We're already in a corner. Mm. So you got to do everything you can to help. So being motivated isn't really a factor 
I don't think right now. Because people that are in this position, we're not motivated to do this. Nobody's motivated for this. Yeah. But if you care enough about the work that you've already done and you want to look when this is over and you want to look back and say like, okay, I did what was right for me. I took care of my health. I took care of all the work that I did to get to this point. And now I'm in a position where instead of having to work myself back for months, I'm able to walk in and after a couple of sessions, I've knocked the dust web off, you know, cobwebs are gone and we're ready. All right. If, if nothing else, take pride in the fact that you can keep, you know, during this time, you can keep, you know, staying in the same routine that you were, mm-hmm. even though you don't have a gym. If you can keep the gains, if you can, or even improve while still being at home, you know, take, let that motivate you take pride in that. Yep. And that's, that's even, that's a case that can be made. So like a lot of us that train like very, very high intensity, meaning like high load by that definition, something that we typically don't do is really, really high rep training or like, I don't know, pump based training because it's not as fun as deadlifting 500 pounds or, you know, just trying to lift something heavy is more fun than going until you want to cry most times, unless you're crazy. Some of us are, (laughs) but taking it that way, if you're not trained in a way that you're really adapted to really high rep training, very high metabolic load, this is an opportunity where you actually can make progress in a way you can utilize a training method that you haven't used before. It is different and it's using different implements that you don't necessarily like and you're in an environment that is very hard to separate from being relaxed because it's your living room or your garage or, you know, the place where your home, where you have leisure, it's hard to separate yourself and get into the mindset of like, it's time to go now because you're in your house. But like you said, you build a pattern throughout your day, you keep your schedule together. And then you have a certain point in the day where, you know, like if you always trained at 3 PM, if you schedule your day, even now, when you don't have a day schedule and you make sure that you have everything lined up. So that at 3 PM, you have a block time. This is it. You'll still have that, like that mental turn on that you got when you used to go to the gym at three, instead of getting in your car and driving to the gym and listening to your, to your music and drinking your pre-workout. Now you can just create a new habit at the same time. and It'll, it'll click faster. It'll click much faster that way than you training at 8 a.m. one day and noon the other day and then 6 in the afternoon the other day and 11 because you just didn't want to train and then you got to it and we're like, fine, I, I should probably do this. So you just got <laughs> So setting a schedule, making sure that it happens, maybe remove yourself from your living room, put yourself in a room that you don't use anything else with, like an office that you never walk into ever or your basement or your garage or something like that, that isn't tied to general feelings that you have throughout your normal day, that will be helpful. And then it's no, no longer a matter of you getting motivated. It's okay. It's time. It's time. Let's do it. I don't care how it feels. I don't care whether or not I want to, this is the time that I have to do it. We're doing it now. Right. And then you, you just get it done. And no matter what, at the end of the day, if you got it done, you got it done. In getting it done right now, to circle back again, doing training that you haven't done in the past and you're not well adapted to 
will still be stimulative. If it's novel, it will still be stimulative. So doing something, as long as your most important factor right now at super light loads, which is basically what people that don't have equipment have available, at very light loads, as long as you are taking everything to actual muscular failure, it is really, really unlikely that you're going to lose any muscle tissue. Really, really unlikely. But there's a difference between feeling pain and going to actual muscular failure, which is something that a lot of people will have to learn right now. Because doing super high rep work, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt and it's going to suck and you're going to want to stop. But that doesn't mean that you failed. So finding a way to make sure that you fail and fail multiple times within every training session in whatever muscle groups that you're training is going to be important for you to continue to keep your gains that you've already made. That's muscular gains. Strength gains are likely to drop off because it's context dependent. So for anyone that's listening, if you really, no matter what movements you do right now, if you're not moving a barbell, you're going to come back to your barbell lifts in a couple of weeks, a couple of months, whenever it is that things open back up and you're going to be weaker. doesn't matter if you went to failure and you kept all of your muscular gains, you will be weaker and it'll be transient. It'll come back because you still have the muscle tissue. You already know the patterns because assume, presumably you've been doing this long enough that they're ingrained pretty well, but you'll still have to relearn things to a degree. Strength is a measure of neuromuscular efficiency in the efficiency that is exerted through the amount of muscle mass that you have. So if you still have the muscle mass, what's left is the efficiency. Your efficiency will go down if you're not in the context that you learned it in. Your training is learning. If you're not training them in that context, you won't have that skill anymore. It will diminish. But as soon as you come back, if it's already learned, there it goes. And if muscle never went anywhere, anywhere, you're good. You're set. So all the way back to the first question. <laughs> I talk in circles. You're fine. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Um, to be motivated right now, don't have to think about motivation. You're not going to be able to watch a Jay Cutler Machiavelli motivation video right now and get ready to smash some soup, uh, soup can curls. <laughs> it's not going to work. Okay. But if you can think forward enough and go, okay, if I can work hard enough right now, I don't care how it feels. I don't care if I want to just lay down and watch a movie. If I work hard right now, I won't be behind when it's go time. I won't be sitting in the corner of the gym doing a quarter of my previous bench max and still failing on a one rep. I won't be there. I won't be a, a hollow shell of the person I once was when the gates are open again and we get to rush back into the gym and everyone's got, you know, this, the rush of being able to go back and do what they love again. And then you just get smashed in the face by shit. I'm not as good as I was. And then you have to deal with that sinking feeling of dude, what did I do to myself? It's an option. You don't have to experience that. If you work hard enough right now and keep on it, you don't have to worry about being motivated. You just have to think about, you don't want to sit there and have to deal with the grieving period of all the gains you lost 
when you have to go back and make the realization again. It's time right now to just do this for yourself. And if you're not willing to do it for yourself, then it won't work. And you'll have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And if you're okay with that, you're okay with that. Right. But if you're not, you have the option to change it. Right. Yeah. With everything you're saying, like what's circling my head is that the old cliche saying the get comfortable being uncomfortable, you mm-hmm. know, Jim goers say that a lot in this yeah. time right now. It's like the opposite. It's like, do yeah. not get comfortable being comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's and adapt, it's incredible. Right? Yeah. Adapt to the situation. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean you have to be happy about it. And nobody that, and needs to be happy about it. Yep. It will be temporary. Don't know how long it's going to be. Nobody needs to be happy about it. But if what you've done to work up to this point is important enough to you and it means enough to you, then show it. Yeah, don't if let, it don't means let, enough that you will continue to maintain it, then you will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't let years of work go down the drain just for a couple of months of, you know, being uncomfortable. Right. Right. Great stuff, Nick, man. We appreciate you coming on today. Uh, I don't, I don't know for sure what direction you're going to take in life, but uh, you're going to do it in a smart way, man. So keep up the great work. We're going to continue to follow you around (laughs) and I'd like to have you back on sometime, man. And, and, and when, when you get things, uh, lined out and you're working for, I don't know, you're going to work for the New York Yankees or maybe the, you know, the, maybe the giants. I don't know. Um, yeah, it has can, to be New York can, based. <laughs> I guess that's where he lives. I guess not. It doesn't have to be, but Buffalo Bills, uh, no, maybe. There you go. There you I go. No I interest. Forgot about them. <laughs> uh, it's been a great time, man. We appreciate you coming on, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, talking with you soon. Thanks for having me, guys. No appreciate right. it. Thank you. Thank you to Nick Gloff and thank you, CEP listener. Remember that word of mouth is like a random water puddle to a very thirsty dog. So don't forget to tell your friends and family about the great variety that you hear right here on the CEP. Please subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you consume the podcast that you love so much so that you can keep the variety coming straight to those ear holes of yours with the automaticity. Also, on that note, when you go to Apple Podcasts, it would help us in such a great way if you would give us a five-star rating while you are there to show your love for the CEP. And speaking of love, we love it when you give us all the love on the socials when in fact you do give us all of your love on the socials. So get busy and give us all your love on the socials. And be sure to visit the launching pad for all things cerebral at thecepodcast.com. And of course, if you need to contact us, you can do that at cerebral at thecepodcast.com. Don't forget to go to buyjack.com slash CEP to pick up your online gear today. And that's all I got, folks. So until next time, be sure to keep those big, beautiful brains of yours nice and warm out there. See ya.